Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you permission to do as you desire. Make our minds, hearts, and souls fertile soil that your word may bear great fruit in our life. Illuminate these scriptures for us. Convict and console our hearts. Speak, for your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Jesus is speaking again things that conjure up in our heads, right? The, the end, the end coming, the end of the world, the last days. Um, why, why is this, we have these readings? As I mentioned last week, if you, I think I had the morning shift last week, the last three weeks of the liturgical year. So for the church, we live by the liturgical year, right? And the New Year's is coming the first, uh, the beginning of Advent. But we had last week, this week, and next week, the focus is on the second coming of Christ. Or the church, too, would speak about as the last four things, the last four things in our life, right? Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. These, these things that the church puts before us at the end of the liturgical year to know that our feet are, are here, but our eyes need to be towards heaven and on the Lord himself. And that is, uh, if you were at the masses I preached last week, memento mori, right? Be mindful, remember that we will die. Why? Not because it's a morbid thing, but heaven's real, hell's real. We want to go to heaven. And the Lord, you know, offers this gift to us. But it is by following him as he has called us that we go. So that was a little bit of a precursor to today's homily. So if you want to listen to it, it's on our SoundCloud. You can check it out. We have today, we're reading this, like, what is the Lord talking about? Is they're, they're looking at the temple and they're like, man, this is really beautiful. And of course, as Jesus does, oftentimes he kind of like goes a little bit of a different direction and kind of goes to this deep place. And he's like, oh, you think it's beautiful? Well, it's about to all be torn down, right? It's all going to be torn down and there's going to be wars and insurrections and they're going to kill some of you. They're going to drag you to synagogues and put you in front of all this. And they're like, okay, all right. But they actually said, like they didn't question that it was going to happen. They just said, when and how will we know? Because this is the second temple. Like it had already been destroyed in 587 by the Babylonians. They, the Jewish people were used to like, okay, well, this is, these things happen. We're here. We want to trust the Lord. When and, and uh, how will we know? And so Jesus basically tells them two things. He tells them to be alert or to be aware and to persevere. Like know these things will happen. Know that people will do these things. So be alert and be aware, but persevere. Persevere in faith and trust and confidence in him. He says, by your perseverance, right, then you will be saved, that we will be with him. And actually the word that he used um, for you will give witness, he says you will give witness. That is the word martyr, like the word that they use for witness is the word martyr. They will give witness. And so what happened is, in the early church, these things happened. They were, they, they were persecuted. They were martyred. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. 
And for a couple of hundred years, as it was like illegal to be Christian, they're just martyring them, martyring them, martyring them. Um, and uh, really, really for like close to 400 years. Uh, the, but the church is spreading because of the witness of the faith, their faith in the Lord and their belief in eternal life in Him. So people are experiencing these powerful miracles and this conversion because of the fidelity of those who are believing in Christ despite the persecution, legitimate persecution of the culture. So what, what does this mean for us today, right? Where, where, where we're living and what's going on in our life. People ask the question as these readings come up like, hey, Father, is it you think it's the end times? And uh, I'm like, of course it is. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? I was like, it's been the end times since Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection for 2,000 years. And it will be the end times until Jesus comes back again. That's been the consistent teaching of the church from day one. As the Messiah has come and is suffering, death, and resurrection, we're living in the end before the Lord comes in the final end. So if people are like, hey, it's the end, it's the end times, like, okay, 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 it's been that way for 2,000 years. We're cool, all good. Um, and then we ask, well, when? When is going to be the end? Well, Jesus said very clearly, no one knows except the Father. So if we get caught, if you get caught in this question, that's the wrong thing because our attention is not on the Lord himself and what he's telling us to do. And he tells us to do the same thing that he told them. Be attentive. Be aware. And persevere in the faith. Persevere in him. I want to read a quote from the catechism, you oftentimes hear me quoting the catechism, uh, encouraging you to read it. It's great. You need to read it. It's so good. Father Mike Schmitz did the Bible in the year. I know many of you probably have listened to at least part of the Bible in the year. This coming year, he's going to be doing the catechism in a year. So you can get a head start and beat Father Mike to the punch, right? Like reading some of that catechism. But here I'm going to read this because this is in regard to this and, and looking at the coming of Christ. It says, before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. This is a serious thing, a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth, the persecution of the church, will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. We'll come back to that. But the supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-Messiah, by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. So right, this is going to be, and we're again in this period of trial and difficulty until the Lord comes again, offering a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. And this is the temptation of the Lord from day, from, I mean, of the enemy from day one. What does he say? Like, hey, you're suffering. You want something that either you're praying for and the Lord is not giving you. It means he doesn't care about you or he doesn't love you. Like when we're suffering and as we pray, it makes us vulnerable, right, to the lies of the enemy. So he says, oh, God's not giving to you. Then just take it. The same temptation in the garden. God's not giving you what you want. God's not giving you what it like you need. Then just grasp at it. And when we grasp, right, we're, we're disobeying the way the Lord has called us to live 
And so we, we fall from grace in this way. And so all of this, this deception, right, this temptation is, whether it be a community problem, an individual problem, and there's so many ways, economics, human stuff, relational things. Let's be honest, the things that are the greatest temptation in our life are the things that are most personal many times. You see things in a family, things are around children, human sexuality, all this, like, okay, I want this, I desire this, I'm struggling with this, and it seems like the Lord's not giving me what I want. So the temptation comes, there's a different way. There's a different way. But you have to say no to what the Lord says about treating each other as brothers and sisters. To what the Lord says doing with your resources. To what the Lord says about your sexuality and relationships and marriage and all these things. You're not getting what you want now because there's a different way, but you have to deny how God has ordered things and called us to. And it's, again, we can see it individually, we can see it collectively, and, and it just happens, and it's easy because it's this apparent solution. It apparently fixes things, but it, but it doesn't because it's not how God has created us. And either we experience the suffering here, all kind of different manifestations. And so you might ask ourselves the question, then how come God doesn't fix it all, right? Like, why doesn't God just fix everything and, like, make everything okay? We see in Jesus the fullness of the revelation of who he is. So what does God choose to do? Not to wave a magic wand and make everything cute, but he enters into our suffering. And he suffers with us. So that our God has taken on our flesh. He suffered physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of these ways. And he knows it. And that by dying for us, he has offered his life, paid the price for our sin, for our own salvation. And that so he invites us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of temptation, to persevere in faith, and in choosing him. And then by entering in through faith in our suffering, he begins to redeem it and transform it. And not everything is gonna be nice and cute on this side of heaven, but ultimately that's the goal and that's the call to remain faithful to him in confusion and difficulty and temptation that we might know his grace and his peace here imperfectly, but ultimately perfectly in heaven where there's no more sorrow, no more tear, no more suffering, no more pain. So in the midst of suffering, brothers and sisters, we're vulnerable. And the temptation is, hey, I have a solution to your suffering, but you have to say no to the truth. You have to say no to what God has said yes for us. And so the Lord is inviting us to be aware of the temptation and to persevere in faith and trust and confidence in him. And as we do so, like the apostles, we will be witnesses. Other people will come to know Christ and eternal salvation because of our fidelity to him. We cannot do it on our own, but only in his grace. And I offer you again practically the same things that the church offers us practically over and over and over, and I say them over and over again because they just need to be the habits of our life. Prayer, daily relationship with the Lord. I cannot trust him if I do not know him. 
to the sacraments that give us the very life and grace of God. Three, community. We all know the power and the strength of people encouraging us and strengthening us in the midst of temptation and trial. Studying the faith, right? I cannot love God if I do not know the truth about God. I cannot love my neighbors if I do not know the truth about what it means to love them. And fifth, serve. As we serve those most in need, it is an encouragement to them that God is present and attentive to them. And when we serve those in need, it is not only the tangible need that we're giving, but it is a manifestation of the presence and the providence of God to and for them to persevere in any suffering in their life. So, is it the last days? Yes. It's been so for 2,000 years and will be until the Lord comes again. Let us be aware and attentive, right, of the apparent solution to the problems that the enemy offers, but that we persevere in the truth in Christ that we might know him now and for all eternity. You've been listening to the Christ the King at LSU podcast. If you would like to become a golden giver or learn more about what we do, please visit ctklsu.org.